Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Bunk Funkers, Art here. This week, Andy and I were so caught up in our legal battle with Mr. Bunker and preparing for our big 100th episode that, well, we couldn't bring you a regular episode of the show this week. But we hate not giving you all the whole enchilada, so we decided to publish an episode from our Patreon show, Andy and Art Debunked. Now, you can get access to this episode and our entire back catalog of Patreon-exclusive episodes over at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod. You can also get access to the Bunker Discord channel, our monthly newsletter, episode sneak peeks, and even an opportunity to do a call-in show with me and Andy, published live on the air. Now, all of that and more is available again at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod. Anyway, enjoy this week's episode. Bunk Funkers, welcome to the Swiss Alps. I'm your host, Ricola. Hey, JK, LOL, Bunk Funkers, it's me, your co-host, Andy. Welcome to another scintillating edition of Andy and Art Debunked. Uh, I'm here uh, with the vibrant, the vivacious, the effervescent, the flatulent co-host Art. Art! Say hi. Look at this autograph. Every time I do it makes me laugh. Artograph. Isn't that one of those charts that shows nothing important? <laughs> yeah, it's very forgettable. Uh, a lot of doctors uh, don't don't think you should use it anymore. <laughs> and they're not wrong. Don't stick art inside your body. <laughs> if you're thinking about it, bunk bookers, don't do it. Um, Andy, it's good to see you. You're looking... Great. You're wearing your little Argyle sweater. You got your little blue jeans, yeah. your cute little socks. Yeah, it's um, nice. Bunk Bunkers, he looks great. Yeah, it's nice to see you, too. Uh, you're wearing uh, a Barney the Dinosaur costume with a crotch cut out. My evening attire. Yeah, yeah. Bed bed clothes. Uh, bunk <laughs> Bunkers. <laughs> Wait. Oh, Art's laughing. He's going to say something, though. <laughs> that is how... I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> Beloved son, uh, you know, whatever, husband of, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, he liked to wear Arnie the dinosaur costumes with the crotch cut out. <laughs> Crotchless Barney the dinosaur costume. Um, Enthusiast. Bunk Funkers, I love you. You love me. Let's make sweet love in a tree. Um, thanks for being here on another episode of Andy and Art Debunked. Um uh, Listen, there was such a uh, outpouring of support for our previous episode on horrific crimes that we decided to do uh, we decided to do another episode on horrific crimes. Um, we're covering today a multifaceted criminal. Um, 
Swiss Army. <laughs> oh, oh, good God. Oh, boy. No, I'm joking. Oh, boy. I don't know how to drink water. I'm so excited. It's so hard to drink water in this Barney costume. So <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a real Swiss Army knife for killing. Yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> being a piece of shit. Yeah, this is... Uh, you know, one of the people with the most wide array of criminal offenses that I can think of. Uh, this Today we're covering uh, a guy by the name of Mike DeBartolet. But now, if you're not familiar with him, I don't blame you. Uh, because I, I was before... Uh, starting to, to to prepare for this episode, but it's only because uh, I have a book about him at home uh, that my wife read and recommended it to me. Um, now, she read this to you while also feeding you some warm milk and rocking you in your cradle, right? Right, yeah. This uh, Bunkfunkers, as you know, I can only fall asleep when I'm like a baby. I have to wear a diaper. I have to be fed a baba of booby milk. I have to... Uh, be be cradled and be warm, and I do soil myself at night. Uh, I refuse to get up and go to the bathroom, and that's more of a lazy thing than yeah. I, I wake up. I'm aware I have to go to the bathroom, and I choose not to. Yeah, well, it's your choice. Yeah, it's so Sophie's choice. You know what we're talking about today, bunk funkers, is that everybody has a different way they sleep. Me in baby clothes, Art in a crotchless Barney costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're individuals. Yeah, everybody's different, and we need to embrace the beautiful diversity that we see around yeah. us. People need to stop looking at Andy and I and saying, like, please get out of this store. You're not welcome here. You're, you, you've been banned. We've told you this before. Stop. We're going to call the police. Like, these kinds of things, it, let's, let's put an end to it. Right. There's no reason to tell uh, any person, please stop crying and throwing a tantrum Uh you're a 40-year-old man. This is ridiculous. There's no reason to say that to anybody. Yeah. Because we can't help how we feel about things, right? It's just how we feel. Please, sir, the play pit is for paying customers only. Also, it's only for children. Please, please get out of, <laughs> like, of the ball pit. Oh, you have to wear a shirt in this school. I don't, like, like when did we become, when did we become a society of rules instead of a society of people? <laughs> Oh, 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 you know, every, every, every time you go, it's, oh, you, you have to, you have to put your groceries in the shopping cart or a shopping basket. You can't just stuff them in your pants. Okay. Big deal. Oh, oh, stop, sir. You can't. Yeah. Stop, stop trying to solicit people outside the movie theater to do like a, like a little kids thing where you all stand on your shoulders and come in as a really tall man. Stop doing that, sir. We've asked you to stop. You know, there's what the fuck. It's like, why are we going to tell people, hey, don't do that? This is a display bathroom for design choices. It's not a functioning shower. Please put any amount of clothing back on. Yeah. It just doesn't, it's, it's rude. It's hurtful. This was America. Yeah. I thought this was America. I thought we had freedom. Uh, but apparently we don't. Um, so bunk funkers, where we're going with all this is that today we're talking about, uh, a counterfeiter, a rapist, a torturer, a murderer, uh, not to spoil the end, but I mean, we're going to talk about it. Um, the criminal is Mike DeBartolaben. Um, This is, uh, again, uh, we hope you're enjoying these episodes. Uh, we're trying to give you what you want. You know, you, we asked and you answered very definitively. You want to hear about horrific crimes. And 
That's what we're trying to give you. Yeah, I feel like this is actually a pretty legitimately, though, no bit, uh, a, a nice segue between like a true blue serial killers like we did mm -hmm. last last month. And yeah. then this is kind of like easing into. I mean, it's still like a killer and it's still horrific, but there's some still some like interesting true crime aspects to this with how this guy counterfeited stuff, which you don't see very often. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you're going to kick out of this one, bunk fuckers. Yeah. If you haven't heard this story, it is an interesting one. Um, so, uh, we hope, we hope you're enjoying these. Um, so I, I, I let's get into it. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, so just to start off, I mean, obviously we're kind of teasing this, but right off the bat, we just have to bring this up that, uh, Murderpedia, the website, uh, Murderpedia has the classification of Mike DeBartleben as it's, it's murderer, murderer with a question mark at the end. It's murderer, um, <laughs> murderer. Um, so that bears a little bit of explanation because we've already described him as a murderer, and I'm going to tell you why we've made that characterization, but why Murderpedia is saying murderer. Um, it's because Mike DeBartolaben is only a suspected serial killer. Um, look, I read. I read this book. I was I was surprised to see that because I read this book called Lethal Shadow by okay. James Michaud. It's, it's it sounds like a Steven Seagal movie. Yeah, it does really. <laughs> the book where is, Steven Seagal wears uh, like an all black costume, but he's like clearly like very out of shape, and he's pretending to be a shadow. So a literal it's every shadow. every <laughs> Steven Seagal movie <laughs> where he's like killing only people black. I don't, with karate and stuff. I yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> So this book is called Lethal Shadow, and it's written by James Michaud, and it is, um, it, it's, it's honestly, it was, uh, it's a very good book. It's a very good read because Michaud gets uh, like unusual access um, to uh, the the Secret Service agents who dealt with this case, like mm -hmm. the law enforcement agents who dealt with this case. So he got really detailed insight into the um, the crimes and the uh, investigation into Mike DeBartolaben. Uh, so it's really a good book, but I, I read that book years ago and I walked away from it with the distinct impression that Mike DeBartolaben was a honest to God for sure murderer. Mm -hmm. um, no question mark. But the, the reason for the question mark is that he was convicted of things like rape and kidnapping and counterfeiting, uh, but he was never actually convicted of a murder. Uh, and he was never convicted of multiple murders. Uh, so he's only a suspected killer. But we'll we'll talk about that uh, eventually. But I just, we'll just throw that. It's a weird thing. Um, DeBartolaben was, he got the nickname the mall passer uh, it, due to uh, his penchant for passing counterfeit bills at shopping malls. Um, and you and have the you have the uh, moniker the gas passer. The gas passer. And that's for my penchant for farting. Yeah. Crop dusting yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I go um, now. I know you're probably thinking what I'm thinking, bunk funkers. You're the, the mall passer, and you're like, "Oh, I I know why he got this nickname." And the thing you weren't thinking was that because he was passing counterfeit bills, you were thinking, "Oh, this is a guy who sneaks into elderly mall walks and overtakes the lead old person in the mall walk." Allowing him to win the golden oldie <laughs> cup at that mall. He's not the mall passer. He's not passing. You know, uh, they don't. He he'll never bring this up. Debartableman will never bring this up. <laughs> yeah, but he uh, can't bring up anything now. Well, yeah, he's dead. But uh, you know, one of the, one of the best 
things to do as a mall passer is to really get behind one of the the grannies that has a walker. You get some real, you can really get some good drag resistance there. Yeah. And then you just zip around, pass right up, just like NASCAR, baby. Yeah, they turn can, left. Yeah, rubbing his race and rub right up against that old lady when, oh, with her yeah. walker. <laughs> um, they call that drafting, I believe. Whatever. I don't do I. I don't fucking know how to drive. I can barely speak English. And if you go to and if you go to a mall uh, in Japan and you do that, it's Tokyo Draft. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, Mike DeBartelaben, um, we we mentioned this already. The Secret Service led the investigation, and I think this bears just a little bit of note at the top because I think that that's surprising, right? You Very surprising to me. You don't expect – I mean, when you think of the Secret Service, what do you think of the Secret Service is doing? You think of them as being the president's protection, right? right bodyguard. Right. They're basically like bodyguards. But uh, the real history of the Secret Service uh, in the United States is – it's a federal law enforcement agency that that handles counterfeiting because up until 2003, it was part of the Treasury Department. Really? Uh, it was started specifically to address counterfeiting happening like right after the U.S. Civil War. Um, at that point in this country, so like we're talking like the mid-19th century – there were upwards of one third of the currency in circulation in the U.S. was counterfeit. Wow. One third of the currency in circulation. Um, and so that's why the Secret Service was formed. Uh, they eventually took on protection of the president. Um, I believe that was. That's in, so weird. Yeah, yeah. You would think it would be the FBI. Yeah, you would think it would be the FBI. Because they handle counterfeits. Yeah, but this was this was formed like a special law enforcement division formed inside the Treasury Department specifically to combat counterfeiting. Why are they called the Secret Service? I don't know. That's a weird name. You think they'd be like the money, the money boys. <laughs> money cops. Money cops. Cash cops. Cash cops. <laughs> the Greenback Police. <laughs> um, so so the Secret Service was investigated this. Um as they were investigating DeBartolaben for these counterfeiting crimes, uh, they just sort of, unbeknownst to them, they weren't aware they were going to do this. They stumbled onto a cache of uh, information that led them to understand that DeBartolaben likely committed much, much, much more heinous crimes than counterfeiting. Um, in 2011, um, we mentioned it already, Mike DeBartolaben was murdered by pneumonia. Um and, but despite that, he is a suspect in two murder cases and was investigated for a lot more murders than that. Um, but like we said, never brought to trial for any of those murders. Um, well, Andy, should we get into a little bit of this guy's uh, lore, his little backstory? <laughs> yeah, here? yeah. His uh, yeah, character background. Yeah, we're uh, we're Larry Potash, and this is the backstory of Mike DeBartolaben. It's DeBartolaben. Yeah. Okay. DeBartolaben. See, when I read it, when I read the it's, book first, yeah. I thought it was DeBartleben. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I don't know, maybe maybe that is how people pronounce it, but I read, I watched some other thing on TV where they referred to him as DeBartleben, so I've been saying it that way ever since. So, DeBartleben was born James Mitchell, uh, nicknamed Mike DeBartleben Jr. Fuck. I'm going to have a problem with this one. <laughs> James Mitchell Mike DeBartleben Jr. Now, that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. On March 20th, 1940 in Little Rock, Arkansas. The Diamond State. The Diamond State. They got a lot of diamonds in Arkansas? Oh, yeah. Diamonds in the rough down there. 
Um, he was Sweet. the <laughs> Go Razorbacks. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Razorbacks, right? Zooey hog. Woo! That's what they say. <laughs> he was uh, the... You got attacked as a child by a chicken in Arkansas, didn't you? You just had to fucking bring it up. <laughs> I'm sitting here in my Barney onesie with the crotch cut out, and you brought up how I got attacked. Yes, yeah, Spunk Funkers. I have... Um, I have uh, some family who live, uh, they're, they're not, they're like second cousin level, right? Uh, but they, they all live in very rural Arkansas. Like I'm talking out in the middle of fucking nowhere, no plumbing in the house. These are like very rural people. Let's put it that way. And we went for a family reunion when I was a young boy, little baby still in diapers. Uh, and I, yeah, I was attacked by a chicken. A chicken chased me around, attacked me, and, uh, I've sought my revenge on them by eating them in many different forms throughout my adult life. And he has eaten quite a few. It's true. But, um, DeBartolieben was born the second of three children. Um, does that make him the middle? Yeah, he's the middle child. He's the middle. Uh... To James Mitchell DeBartolieben Sr. and Mary Lou Edwards DeBartolieben. Now, he had a younger brother named Ralph and an older sister named Linda. Uh, the DeBartolieben's were a military family, okay? So his father joined the U.S. Army as a lieutenant and was in Washington, D.C. throughout World War II. So, like many military families, um, however, the DeBartolieben's moved around a lot. Whenever DeBartolieben Sr. was, you know, stationed somewhere new, right? So they went to Austin, Texas, Kentucky, then Frankfurt. Um, they Not went Frankfurt, Austin. Kentucky. Frankfurt, Frankfurt in Germany. That's right. So Austin, Texas, Kentucky, and then they went to Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah, I think that was a uh, Chuck Berry song, right? Where he goes from Austin, Texas to... Lexington, I'm sorry, Kentucky. Andy. I don't know that one. Okay. Well. I just know Johnny B. Good. All right. Well, Mikey, Mikey DeBartolieben be good. I, I, I don't think hope. he will be. He won't be. Um, then they went to the hog. What is it, the Hague? <laughs> yeah, but we should, they should rename it the hog. When we're there, they're going to rename it the hog. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the hog in Netherlands. The Hague in the Netherlands. The hog in the nether regions. <laughs> oh, God. They went to the Hague in uh, the Netherlands until DeBartolieben Sr. finally retired from the army in 1953. And then they settled in Albany, New York. Beautiful. Upstate New York. Uh, of course, it's uh, a Utica expression. <laughs> Utica? Well, I'm from Albany, and I've never heard that expression. <laughs> oh, wait. I fucked it up. He says Albany before Yeah, you that. got it backwards, but I wasn't going to correct you. I'm, I'm just going to let it stand. I'm just dumb. Anyway, known for its agriculture. Uh, did you know that uh, New York was the top producing cheese state, Andy, in the USA before Wisconsin overtook them? Andy, did you know that? I did. And now California is. Mm -hmm. Big dairy state California is. Um, but hey, you can still enjoy a nice, extra sharp New York cheddar. Oh my God, yeah, you can. Ooh, some Cabot. You like that brand? Oh, what a good cheese. I'm a make. Tillamook man. Sorry. Oh, Cabot is better. You should give up on Tillamook. Uh, really? Our, you hate them that much? I, did, I don't hate it. I just think Cabot is better. Because I've got like a five pound block that you get from Costco sitting up there in my fridge. Uh, that's it's fine. If they make great. a if they make a five pound block of seriously sharp cheddar, count me in. 
Uh, is that all you like from Cabot? Is that seriously sharp cheddar? No, I like everything that I've had. I've had their uh, their um, uh, their Colby Jack is great. Their Pepper Jack is great. Mm. Um, let's see what else. Well, they got more flavor than Tillamook. Oh yeah, I think so for sure. In my opinion, yes. And I like a flavorful cheese. Art, hang on. Art, lift up your shirt. What the fuck is that? Oh, he's wearing a fucking. Don't look at my Cabot t-shirt. <laughs> You're wearing a Cabot t-shirt. You work for Big Cheese. I work for Big Cheese. It's true. Oh, I'm a Big Cheese shell. You are. Art, right, what's your favorite kind of cheese? Oh, my God, dude. Obviously, we know you're a Tillamook man. Um, I mean, you know me. But what's your favorite variety? Bunk Funkers. I'm Italian. I grew up in an Italian household. I like that fresh mozzarella. Mm. I mean, can you beat fresh mozzarella out of the brine? I mean, eating it with a little bruschetta. <laughs> with a little tomatoes and some balsamic vinegar and um uh, but if i had to pick like a flavored cheese like i know a lot of people say like oh fresh mozzarella doesn't taste like anything you get that shit fresh so it tastes really good i think it tastes good um i mean i i really like a gouda mm. like a you know that good smoky choice. cheesy yeah Gouda's so good. It can melt. It can it's not gouda. melt. Yeah. Get it a lot of different forms. I'm pretty sure sheep milk is a Gouda. No? You know, I mean, probably traditionally. But I think it depends, you know, nowadays, like, it depends on where your cheese is made, what kind of milk it is usually. Like, most cheeses made in this country are probably cow's milk. Yeah. Because that's the preference in the USA. You know, but I mean, I like a lot of different cheeses, Andy. I really do. Can't beat a classic cheddar. Cheddar is great. It's so versatile. Yeah. You can do anything with a cheddar. Yeah. But I'm a Tillamook man. Um, you know, like, hey, Bunk Funkers, you patrons know, you've listened to the show. Andy and I don't support pre-shredded cheese. You buy it in a big old hunk and then you shred it yourself. Come on. Yeah, all you need is a good box grater at home. And that's a great uh, tool. Uh, I can also recommend a microplane, a rasp grater. Like those are great for breaking down hard cheeses. Uh, but you should buy it on the block, frankly. Because the thing is, Bunk Funkers, if you buy a bag of shredded cheese, typically what they're doing to prevent clumping is they're adding like an additive into the cheese that's like potato starch, mm -hmm. which while it keeps the cheese from clumping... It also prevents melting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you want a well, a good performing cheese, right? Yeah. You want the cheese to perform as you expect it to. Performs better than we do. Yeah. Well, anyway. not, a, not a high bar, but okay. Yeah. But a craft, craft single is going to perform better than us. <laughs> that time Homer ate a I think I'm blind. block of craft singles. Remember that, remember that bit? Yeah. That's I think bit. I'm blind. <laughs> So the marriage between the DeBartolabin's De parents uh, was a little unstable and chaotic, to kind of say the least. And actually, both had many extramarital affairs. Uh, I mean, honestly, what they should have done is they should have just joined some kind of a swinger community. Then they could have had sex with other people, <laughs> but in a healthy way where they support each other. I guess so. I mean, you know, maybe that would have produced a different timeline and a different outcome where we wouldn't be talking about Mr. Mike DeBartolabin. Yeah. Um, they thought about divorce, divorcing, but they stayed together for the kids. Like Blink-182. Um, is that stay together for the kids or is that the offspring? I can't remember. It always works, right? Never a bad decision. Always results in a good outcome, right, Andy? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
whatever you do, never get divorced if you have children. Like if you, you know, just continue. This is, look, from a married person, just continue to exist in a loveless household where your whole family life is a sham. It's much better for everybody. <laughs> kids are not smart enough. The kids are very stupid. They are not smart enough to see through it. They won't understand that your marriage is a sham. Uh, they will think things are great and it will have no lasting effects on anybody. Uh, it's super. It, it works so well. Works so well. <laughs> now, DeBartleman's mother was a sexually promiscuous and emotionally kind of unstable alcoholic whose behavior would become violent at times, okay? Mm -hmm. His mother often neglected the children when her husband was away, preferring to spend much of her time at the bars, drinking up, drinking and picking up men. <laughs> it sounds like me and Mike's mom have a lot in common. I always find you down at the local pub trying to pick up men. Hey, and you can't lift I'm that much. I'm not that strong. You're I'm not, not that, that strong. strong. I got to hit the bench. <laughs> you just, you getting kicked out of so many bars for just going in and be like, hey, free, free drinks on me if you let me pick you up. I'm out there being promiscuous, drinking, trying to pick up men, lift them above my head. I mean, you want to be a strong man. Yeah. That's my goal in life. Well, while Mike's mom was out at playing, uh, Mike's sister, Linda, kind of became the uh, caretaker for her younger brothers. And it was during this period that DeBartolabin began to develop a deep, deep hatred for his mother, which would eventually crystallize into a hatred of women in general. Jeez. I would never have guessed this guy would have a hatred of women in general. Color me shocked. <laughs> This is a classic serial killer red flag. I mean, immediately. Bad <laughs> yeah. relationship with mom develops deep-seated hatred of women. Yep. Um, it's textbook. Now, as a child, DeBarleben was subjected to considerable abuse and neglect by both his uh, mother and father. His father was a punitive man who was very critical of his children and almost never praised them for their accomplishments. I mean... Hey, join the fucking club, buddy. Yeah, I mean, this is just normal dad behavior, right? Like, <laughs> this is how I am as a dad. Am I doing something wrong? Yeah. I'm, I'm failing to see the issue with this. Your dad should never tell you that he loves you. That's not that's not the dad's place. A dad's place is to be stern. Yeah, and when you're little and you're afraid of getting hit by the football, he should whip it at you really hard and tell you to stop being afraid of the football. That's how you get over your fears is you face them directly head on when you're not ready for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and... uh. You know, if you also, if one day he decides to take you to the grocery store because he needs to blow off some steam and get away from mom in the house and he takes you along and you start asking him questions about Johnny Bravo, your favorite cartoon at the time, he should yell at you. He should drive halfway down the block, yell at you, turn the car around and then kick you out and then drive away. That's what should really happen. Too real? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, nobody's crying here. No, <laughs> you're crying, not us. When DeBartolabin was younger, his father would punish him. Okay, but this is this is actually pretty serious. As, as, as much as we're joking about, you know, our, our family life and what it may have happened, I hope neither of our fathers ever did this, and they didn't. But yeah. his father would punish him by holding his head underwater in a bathtub as well as switching him. Now... You can tell they were from Arkansas that they were using a switch. You, you go on there me a and switch. pick up your switch now, Mikey Jr. A switch, for you bunk funkers who are not familiar, is usually a thin but sturdy uh, stick or branch. Or yeah. You cut off a little, a little 
branch, like a twig from a tree. Yeah. And then he will, uh, you know, tan your hide. He'll whip your butt. Yeah. Smack smack your bare butt with a part of a tree. But holding your head underwater is pretty serious child abuse. Yeah, this is basically um, waterboarding. Now, according to his siblings, these punishments began before he was old enough to even attend school. Yeah. Now, now it makes sense why this was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, uh, I mean, you know. I mean, that would be bad at any age, but <laughs> with a toddler? Yeah. Mm. Um, now, even from an early age, Mike was a bit of a quiet loner who was detached from the other children. Uh, according to his own account and that of his sister, he preferred solitary activities and spent a great deal of time drawing and sketching alone in his room. Um, these sorts of activities kind of became an escape for him and a way to express himself from which he, uh, quote, derived much inner satisfaction, end quote. That's great and all. Uh, and I admit, I, I haven't seen any of the drawings, but I'm going to go out on a on a limb here, out on a switch here, and say these drawings were probably, um, what's the uh, what's the art term for it? Uh, the, like, the, like, uh, I guess I would call them fucked up, <laughs> I think. I'm going to guess they were yeah. probably pretty fucked up. Yeah, that's probably how I would say it. Yeah. <laughs> No, these fucking drawings are weird, dude. <laughs> like, can you imagine being, I mean, he probably wasn't giving them to his parents. Can you imagine being Linda? And he's like, I did a drawing. And it's like, oh, this is scary. Yeah. Oh, this is mommy with her head cut off. Yeah. yeah uh, I don't know if this has room on the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is you in a Barney costume with a crotch drawn out. <laughs> well, <laughs> while your best friend sits in an open face toilet <laughs> wearing a jet. Uh, cheese company shirt. What's that in the background? Oh, that's 9 11. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we knew about 9 11 in the 50s. Uh, even in adolescence, right? DeBartolabin began to exhibit antisocial behavior and aggressiveness towards others. Or what we like to call acting, quote, like art. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Very antisocial and very aggressive. Urgh, I'm so aggressive. Oh, she's settled down. Uh, in 1956, at the age of 16, DeBartolabin physically assaulted his mother for the first time. Um, on September 8th, 1956, he purchased two handguns and ammunition with a friend. And later that month, he was arrested and convicted of his first felony, possessing a concealed firearm. The, uh, the arrest was the first of many that followed on um, sodomy, attempted murder, kidnapping, and other charges. So, not a good start for the young Mike DeBartolabin. Yeah, and as rich a childhood as DeBartolabin had, uh, his uh, his uh, life in adulthood would uh, be no less rich. Um, so, as much... He's had a pretty eventful life to this point so far. Um, but after high school, uh, in the spring of 19... Well, I we'll guess we'll start like where he ends his high school career, kind of. Uh, in the spring of 1957... DeBartolabin got expelled from Peter Schuyler High School, uh, which was basically the end of his formal education in a way. Um, he got expelled from school after he got arrested for a reckless driving. Um, then in October of 1957, he uh, enlisted in the Air Force, in the U.S. Air Force, uh, and got stationed at Lackland Air Force Base, uh, which is in Texas. So after a year with the Air Force, he got court-martialed. Uh, for disorderly behavior 
and had to spend two months in the base stockade and got a fine of $155. Then in 1958, um, the Air Force ordered him to see a psychiatrist so he could uh, take counseling um, because he went AWOL uh, several times. Now, if you're not familiar with AWOL, that's a that's a an acronym A W O L, which is absent without leave. Mm. Um, so it's like you're not you're not supposed to leave, abandoning abandoning your position. Right, basically, it's like he it's, he did not. It's not like desertion right. necessarily uh, because you don't like leave completely. But it's like you're not allowed to leave the base and you just go away anyway and don't show up for stuff. So he was <laughs> AWOL a few times and uh, had to see a psychiatrist. Then he turned 18 <laughs> and got dishonorably discharged from the Air Force um, after being court-martialed yet again. Um, and so then he moved in with some relatives, family he had in Fort Worth in Texas. Uh, in 1959, um, he tried to finish his uh, high school education by enrolling in R.L. Paschal or Pascal, I don't know, high school, uh, but got expelled after three months. Well, he should have uh, gone to R.L. Stein High School. That's true. Great author, R.L. Stein, <laughs> Ohio State grad. Oh, Jesus. Um, God damn it. <laughs> great, great author. Um, so then in 1959, uh, Mike- This guy's Ma- giving me goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Curse of the Mummy. <laughs> uh, in August of 1959, uh, Mike got married uh, uh-huh. to his first wife, Linda Weir, uh, and three weeks later, the two were separated. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, 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 Art. Mike DeBartolabin doesn't do anything at normal speed. <laughs> he lives his life at warp speed. <laughs> if his life was a YouTube video, it'd be at 1.5 X playback constantly. <laughs> yeah. This guy is a jump cut machine. <laughs> yeah, he is. Married, divorced, high school started, ended. He's like a Gordon Ramsay uh, narration. <laughs> on a, yeah. He's a Gordon a, Ramsay cooking video. A real life Gordon Ramsay narration. Oil in pen, hot, married, divorced. High school court martial. <laughs> if you if you watched a montage of Mike DeBartolabin's life, like it would literally be thirty seconds long because <laughs> there's so everything happens so fast. We haven't even gotten to the counterfeiting yet. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to get through. He's already been court martialed, kicked out of the multiple fucking times, Force, multiple times, married and divorced, expelled from multiple high school. I mean, Jesus. Um, yeah. So a lot's going on here. Then, so that was in August of 1959 is when he met Linda Weir and they married and separated. Also in August of 1959, same month uh, that he married his wife, his, he was he got arrested for attempted robbery uh, and two weeks later uh, was involved in a string of auto thefts. And for these crimes, he ended up being sentenced to five years probation. That's it? Five years probation, yeah. Um, so God damn. Uh, later, he met a woman named Charlotte Weber, uh, who was 17 at the time that they started being involved with each other. Um, DeBartleben at this point was living at home with his parents again uh, and basically just terrorizing his family. Um, both of his parents were afraid of him and thought that he had the capacity to kill them. Jesus Christ. Because they uh, were probably getting up there in age, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, he's like a young man. Yeah, he's he's not very old at this point. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, like, yeah, I mean, I understand why they would think that. Like, this guy is the human embodiment of a red flag. Yeah. Like, it's... Um, so Charlotte Weber uh, recalled uh, that Mike's family uh, 
put up with violent outbursts where he, quote, lit fires in his room and, quote, kicked doors in, which, I mean, okay, normally, normally, Art and I would say this is pretty cool stuff to do. The fucking raddest thing to uh, do. Yeah, this, that's how I enter most restaurants. But in this case, no. We say no. No. Don't do this, Mike DeBartleben. Do not do this. If you're, if, you're not, if you're not Mike DeBartleben and you want to start fires in your room and kick doors in, go for it. But if you're Mike DeBartleben, no. No. <laughs> Uh, nevertheless, uh, Charlotte Weber described DeBartleben as, quote, a, as a, quote, handsome young rebel with whom she was, quote, enthralled. Oh, my God. God. But I wouldn't give to be fucking characterized, to have somebody quoted saying it, no less, as a handsome young rebel. God. I think... At this point, Andy, it's like a triangle, and we can only have two points of the triangle at this point. <laughs> yeah. I can either be handsome and young, I can either be young and a rebel, or I can be a handsome rebel. Yeah. We're, not, we're never going to get all three. And unfortunately, the hat I'm trick. a square. <laughs> yeah, yours is a square, and you have the corner that is nothing. Yeah, I'm the, the wrong angle. Um, In March of 1960, so... Again, this is like less than a year after meeting Linda, marrying Linda and separating from Linda. Uh, Charlotte became pregnant with Mike's child, uh, and the two were married on June 9th of 1960. Then on December 12th of 1960, uh, a daughter was born named Bethany. Uh, At this point in their life, Charlotte described Mike as being preoccupied with vanity uh, and being cold and detached but she claimed he was not abusive, uh, which unfortunately was not the case for all of Mike's wives, which numbered five in total. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but he, other wives were brutalized um, where he practiced torture techniques that he would use eventually on his victims. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more. Um, Charlotte and Mike had a second child, uh, but Charlotte was forced by her parents to give up the baby for adoption. So then in the summer of 1961, uh, Mike enrolled in two different universities in the state of Texas, despite never having earned his high school diploma. Don't know how. I fucking am so jealous of the, of the, just the, the narcissistic confidence of some of these fucking assholes, man. And it just goes to show you like how different things were in the sixties, right? Oh my God. Like that. Nobody was like, Oh, we got to check your transcripts. It's like, Oh, you're old enough. Just fucking lie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. I graduated. Yeah. What high school? R.L. Stein high school. (laughs) Oh, he's a good author. Fighting goosebumps. Like (laughs) that fighting weird dummy. Fighting weird, uh, little puppet from the one story about the puppet. Yeah. Um, so, then in August of 61, uh, Mike's 19-year-old brother, Ralph, uh, so this was his younger brother, uh, was home on leave from the Army, uh, staying, but staying in a motel due to an argument with Mike. Um, and Ralph committed suicide in a church parking lot by asphyxiating himself in his car exhaust, or with his car exhaust, I should say. Um, Ralph uh, had told Linda, their sister, that he did not intend to return when his leave was up. Um, Mike eventually blamed his brother's suicide on severe depression arising from his ex- his strenuous paratrooper training, uh, apparently a girlfriend rejecting him, and ultimately as the like underlying cause altogether, uh, the, the poor home environment both of them grew up to. Um, 
there is just there's just like a dark cloud yeah. around this whole family. It's 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 pretty sad. Yeah, and uh, not long after Ralph uh, committed suicide, Mike and Charlotte ended up divorcing. Uh, so then in 1962, Mike's probation uh, from the arrests we talked about before, his five years of probation, uh, was revoked, and he was sent to prison. Oh, shit. Uh, so after his release from prison, uh, Mike spent some time uh, living with his parents, um, and during this time, his health began to deteriorate, and he started to become more aggressive, if that you can even believe. Um, so he started abusing his mother again physically, um, allegedly threatening her at times with a hatchet or a letter opener um, in order to uh, like create diversion for himself. He would read uh, psychology and psychiatry books. Um, and, you know, as a further attack on his parents, if they, you know, objected to anything in his lifestyle, he would just threaten to kill them. So they obviously became afraid that he was capable of carrying through with his threats uh, so they got the local sheriff involved and Mike was sent to Western State Hospital in Staunton, Virginia uh, for evaluation in March of 1964. And it was at Western State Hospital uh, where Mike DeBartolabin was first diagnosed as antisocial and as a sociopath. Uh, clinicians at the hospital uh, believe that his antisocial personality would render him a poor candidate for psychotherapy and that the safest place for him was in jail. Which, I mean, I guess you don't really think about that being the case a lot, but wow. there you go. Uh, so not long after he got out of Western State Hospital, uh, Mike DeBartolabin met Wanda Faye Davis, who was six years younger than he. Uh, they began dating, and they were married then in September of 1964. Uh, gradually, Mike began to persuade Wanda Faye into taking nude photographs of her in various sadistic and degrading and doing various like sadistic and degrading sex acts with him. Um, he eventually used these photos that he took to blackmail her into being an accomplice in like con scams that he was running or other crimes. Um, so with Wanda Faye, uh, Mike first uh, like told her about his uh, sexual fantasies uh, and openly told her about his uh, like urges to kill women. Which is probably not a good thing to hear if you're married to somebody and you are a woman. <laughs> Ooh, this this took a dark turn fast. I mean, when we said Mike DeBartolabin goes fast, like, we're goes not fast. kidding. Uh, so his first confirmed like sex crime happened in 1966. Uh, he was arrested for kidnapping and sodomy uh, of a young girl, uh, a crime that he carried out with Wanda Faye's cousin. Uh, so this was another guy, one of his wife's cousins, and they carried out this crime of uh, abducting this girl and sodomizing her. Um, the charges got dropped, though, because the jury learned that the victim had gotten into the car with two men willingly. Jesus Christ. I mean, thank God the legal system is different than it was then. What 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 exactly is sodomy? Uh, that's... I, that has a, like, butt sex, okay. generally, but, yeah. like, different states define it differently. Like, okay. like, sometimes it could just be... It could be anything. Right. So it's it depends on the state, but it's like basically like a no no sex act. Um, but if I remember right, I think this girl was fourteen. Okay, like so yeah. it should have been like whether she got in the car willingly or not. Like they should that should have been a crime. It was a crime. Um, but at any rate, Wanda Faye Davis then became uh, pregnant with Mike's child, 
uh, and they she would become pregnant twice. Uh, the first one, uh, the first baby was miscarried uh, when Mike pushed Wanda Faye down a flight of stairs in a fit of rage. Uh, and she did eventually give birth to a daughter, Lindsay. Um, but by this time, Mike and Wanda Faye had divorced and Mike was already seeing another vulnerable young woman, uh, which was his fourth wife, eventually his fourth wife, whose name was Karen. Uh, she was 12 years younger. Jesus than Mike. So every time he stays the same age and the women keep the same age, you know what I mean? He keeps getting older and they stay the same. So they just, the gap keeps getting bigger. Um, so at the time they began- So many red flags. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. And when they first started, when he started uh, like courting Karen, she was 17 and still in high school. Um, so like Wanda Faye, Karen was subjected to all of the same kind of degrading treatment. Um, she was groomed also as an accomplice to Mike's crimes. Um, and Karen, unfortunately, from all the reports, suffered the most um, under Mike's while she was married to Mike. Um, like she, he took out most of his like harsh, the harshness of his fantasies on her. Um, he like wrote out a script of things that like dialogue to have with her while they, while he was torturing her. Jesus Christ. Um, and this is what he wrote. This is what he wrote about Karen, his fourth wife. I mean, again, 17 when he started seeing her quote, she never really loved me and quote, I don't want to kill Karen. I want to punish her. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take a little detour from sex crime and talk about counterfeit. Okay. Counterfeiting crimes. Um, in 1976, DeBartolabin was arrested for counterfeiting, passing fake $100 bills, dropping a couple of Benjis. That's what they say, right? People say Benjis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whether they're talking about, you know, the movie Benji, like dropping copies of that because it's worth a lot of money yeah. or $100 bills with Benjamin Franklin's face on him. Either way, it works. Yeah. Um, during the search of his home, investigators with the Secret Service located his printing press as well as a collection of dildos, whips, vibrators, and a stack of five by seven cards with the names, addresses, measurements, and physical characteristics of numerous women. Um... You know, the walls of his home were covered with amateur pornography. It is uncertain. Not unlike the walls of your home. <laughs> not unlike the walls of my home. But here's the thing. I'm not a depraved lunatic. This is, right. this is. This is only solo male <laughs> pornography. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is like Sonic the Hedgehog stroking his massive chili dog. This right. is, this is stuff like uh, SpongeBob stroking his massive nose, but it's actually a penis. Right, right. Not his nose. right. Hot pics of Garfield. I mean, name a cartoon. Yeah. Name name one cartoon character. And I've got some pinups of the Eggman that really will fucking, I mean, you'll blow you a load and you'll knock your socks off. Yeah. You'll come so hard your socks will fall off. They'll get blasted off your feet. Yeah. Um, it was uncertain whether or not the women photographed here, though, were consenting partners. This was amateur pornography all the stuff that i have these cartoons consented okay <laughs> yeah. this is legal shit he got permission from jim davis to draw a big dick on <laughs> I, garfield i did i did <laughs> <laughs> then i had yeah and then i had him draw a dick on his own signature <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Good Lord. We're not equipped to handle this subject matter. No, not at all. So evidence <laughs> evidence found during the search of DeBar Lehman's home led to him being convicted of counterfeiting and sentenced to the federal penitentiary in Danbury, Connecticut, where she served two years for his crimes. Now, during his imprisonment, DeBartleben wrote this, quote, I feel that I have been unjustly tormented, degraded, and shit upon by society, parentheses, specifically the American justice system, system, which is rotten to the core, in parentheses, in order to regain an adequate self-image, I feel compelled to somehow restore my self-respect. If I were to shit upon society for an adequate monetary gain, commensurate with the pain, the pain, with the pan, pain, commensurate with the pain I have suffered and not get caught, it would accomplish my objective, end quote. So, you know, I don't agree with this guy or his principles at ever, at all, but uh, he kind of talks like me. So um, <laughs> I would definitely say things like yeah, shit upon by society. Yeah, he too dreams of taking a dump on Uncle Sam's chest. <laughs> just like you. I mean, he just fucking deserves it. Oh, he's he, so dumpable. He's so dumpable, so buff, so, so easy hungry, to do so a easy Cleveland shit on Uncle Sam. Yeah. And that pure white beard of his. <laughs> just stain it. Yeah. Green. Because I ate something bad. I eat nothing but green curry all day, every day. <laughs> oh, I love a good chicken sog. Mm. Lamb sog, too. Yeah. Any kind of meat sog. Uh, in 1978, after spending some time at a halfway house, DeBartleben moved to Arlington, Virginia, where he got a job as a barber. Boy, can you imagine getting a fucking haircut from that guy? Yeah, what would the small talk with him? Yeah, what would the small talk be? So, uh, tortured any women lately? <laughs> I have. I could, uh, you want if I could, uh, I could taper down that neckline real nice, like I fucking tapered down. You need a shave? No, I just had one. Let me shave you. <laughs> need to use the razor. Oh, God. Ugh. This is not one role play I want to be a part of. <laughs> um, the only role plays I want to be a part of are the ones where I get to play a fantasy character who is uh, wearing a giant Barney costume with a hole cut out. Well, I've got good news for you. <laughs> Introducing the Mr. Bunker's D&D Time role-playing podcast. Where Andy's the DM and Art is playing a paladin whose suit of armor is the Barney costume with a crotch cut out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what do you mean I go on an adventure where I get... I get I get sexually attacked by ghosts. <laughs> what do you mean that's the whole adventure, Andy? I yeah. didn't sign up for this. Yeah, that's the whole adventure. Uh, I mean, You're I'm sorry. Jerked off by a ghost. Yeah, yeah. Your crotch is exposed, so of course the ghosts are going to go after it and jerk you off. All right, roll a d10 to see how many see how many cum points you lose. Yeah, <laughs> there's. Let me just say, there's no nothing you can roll that will stop the ghost from jerking you off. Good Lord. He didn't last long as a barber, though, obviously, right? Yeah. And took off in a newly purchased 77 Thunderbird. Oh, baby. Ooh. To resume his activity of passing out counterfeits and committing rape. Uh, at the same time, an unlikely mix-up at the Crime Information Center led authorities to conclude that DeBartolieben was dead. So, basically, he could commit these crimes unsuspected because authorities thought he was not alive. Mm. Which is um, 
pretty fucked up. Yeah. In the summer of 1979, he met his final wife, Barbara Abbott, who left him after a year and a half. Smart lady. Um, at this time, DeBartleben was heavily engaged in counterfeiting money. On January 1st of uh, 1979, a bank teller in Florence... Uh, actually, July 31st. Oh, fuck. What did I say? You said January 1st. Oh, shit. Fuck. Uh, on July 31st, 1979, a bank teller in Florence, Kentucky, discovered a counterfeit $20 bill. She filled out a counterfeit note report and submitted the bill to the local Secret Service field office. Now, the Secret Service determined the note's major identifying defects were a small black diagonal in the field to the left of the J in the Federal Reserve Board Seal and a defect in the interior outline of the zero in 20 in the upper left corner on the front of the bill. Now, on the back of the bill, there was a green curl in the sky above the White House and below the letter T in United. Oh, you currency freaks are getting a kick out of that one. Oh, they're loving it. Um, in 1979, in Cincinnati, Ohio, a clerk at the United Dairy Farmers store. Great ice cream, by the way. Love UDF. It's an Ohio thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used to go there all the time. One around the corner from my uh, house. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Little Andy. Yeah. Used to get uh, like punk scoop ice cream. They had great marshmallow cream. So we get that marshmallow sauce on everything. Is that like um, like fluff, like in a fluffer nutter? But it's like it's like where it's like liquefied. Like they keep it, you know, it's like it's like marshmallow, but it's like a liquid marshmallow. Big part of Andy's kind of like cum. <laughs> I guess really it's like marshmallow flavored cum. When you think about it, it's got that same kind of viscosity. It's white. It's creamy. It just tastes like a marshmallow. It's delicious. Great, great in a milkshake. Like get a chocolate milkshake with that swirl in it. Oh my God, so good. Or fudge milkshake. Bung bungers. Bung bungers. I wish you could see through my, my beautiful eyes. I wish you could see through them and see what I saw where I was halfway through saying something and I watched Andy open his eyes wide, crane his head to the side and yell, kind of like cum. It's kind of like cum. It really is. Never thought of it that way before, but um, kind of like cum. Bunk fuckers. Big part of Andy's lore that we've never explored on the main feed that you're getting a free taste of. Huge marshmallow fan. This guy fucking loves marshmallows. Oh my God, do I ever. He loves them. Can't get enough. Bunk fuckers. Uh, there's never a, brings it up though. There's a place in Chicago that does marshmallows. Uh, called it's the probably. called the XO Marshmallow Cafe. You can buy them online. Are they good? Oh, they are so. Were good. those weird ones that you had at your house one time and you didn't want and you gave them to me? You remember that? Mm, I gave away marshmallows to you that were weird. I think you didn't like the flavor or something. Mm, could be. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, he basically he passed another counterfeit twenty dollar bill at the United Dairy Farmers store. Yeah, so. passed one at the UDF. Anyway. And he's going to tell us about Burger Chef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then in August of You've been so excited to talk about Burger Chef. Oh, my God. I have been. So in, in after he passed the $20 bill at UDF, also in August of 79, uh, a Burger Chef restaurant in Cincinnati uh, identified yet another counterfeit bill. Now, I know, I know you love it, Bunk Funkers. You can't get enough of it. Now is the time to do a deep dive on a obscure, pointless, 
we didn't have to address it, yet we chose to. <laughs> if you don't know what Burger Chef is, it's a defunct fast food chain. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the first restaurant, the first Burger <laughs> Chef restaurant oh opened in 1957. And by 1972, they had 1,200 locations, 1,200 locations. Uh, the second biggest U.S. fast food chain behind McDonald's. Get the fuck out. Really? I shit you not. Uh, they, wow. They also, uh, they were like, they were like, uh, they had a, a habit of putting their restaurants in like small towns. So McDonald's had many more locations, but they had a lot of them because they would go pretty much put a burger chef anywhere. Put it in the small towns. They didn't care about them, you know. Like was a it uh, assembly line, kind of like McDonald's? Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of concept as McDonald's. Oh, okay. Even get this, Burger Chef kind of invented the fast food kids meal, which they called a fun meal. Uh, after McDonald's, after they came out with the fun meal, McDonald's came out with the happy meal. Burger Chef sued McDonald's, and they lost. They lost. Can't go up to the big old arches. No, can't. Can't compete with those attorneys. Um, and after that loss, the hits didn't stop coming. Uh, the cha- the Burger Chef chain was owned by a company uh, that sold the chain to another company that also owned the Hardee's chain of fast food restaurants. So lots because there was this competition, then lots of Burger Chefs just got turned into Hardee's uh, in places where there wasn't already a Hardee's or they got converted into other fast food brands. Uh, if they were already too close to an existing Hardee's location. Uh, so those that didn't end up converting closed, uh, except for one in Tennessee that carried the Burger Chef name into like 1996 or something. Mm. Um, so weird, kind of weird though about, I mean like Burger Chef, I don't get get this, their featured burger, like the big burger for them was called the Big Chef. Uh, so it's based and it's basically like a Big Mac. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know which one came first. Did, did Little chicken or the egg situation. Yeah. Did McDonald's steal the Big Chef or did Burger Chef steal the Big Mac? Uh, either way, it's called the Big Chef, but it's spelled S-H-E-F. Even though the name of the restaurant is Burger Chef C-H-E-F. Like, why did they change? Like, why? Like, why? I don't I don't get why change it to an S. Why? What's the point? <laughs> Probably of this? why they're not around anymore. Like, why not just? You should have just spelled it normal. Like, yeah. what was the what was the marketing ploy behind <laughs> yeah. that? I don't get it. Uh, they also had a super chef, which is a quarter pounder, uh, the quarter pound burger. I guess I should say. Uh, another famous concept for them was the works bar. Uh, you order a plain burger and you put the toppings on yourself. Do your own toppings, your own topping bar. They they predated Fuddruckers. Yeah, they Fuddruckers stole Burger Chef, the works bar. Oh my God, poor Burger Chef is gonna. Finally, get its its due diligence this on is, this podcast. This is it. They get getting credit for being the innovators they are. Um, so they also had a salad bar, which I like to imagine was just also the works bar. Like it was just it was just a salad bar. It was just nothing but toppings, like shredded lettuce. I mean, sliced tomato, that's, sliced that's, onion, pickles. That's pretty fucking smart. Like, I mean, from a shitty like marketing perspective, where Can you imagine you walk in and they have like a picture on the menu. It's like a nice salad. It's like get the salad bar. It's like, Maybe I will get the salad bar. You go over there. It's just, it's just like one plastic container full of pickles. <laughs> a squid, like a bot, like a pump thing of ketchup and mustard. You're oh like, my oh. God. Uh, anyway, uh, they had the salad bar. Um, but aside from all this, I mean, it's what a shame. Let me tell you, Burger Chef had some great characters and slogans. 
All we're right, gonna, let's see. Because we're going to talk about it, okay? All right, I think you're going to like this. All righty. Uh, there was Burger Chef. That was the main character. I mean, this is a no-brainer, right? Uh, it's a it's a guy who's a Burger Chef, and he had his young sidekick, a boy named Jeff, and they were the two main characters. <laughs> I'm really on board. This is my favorite restaurant of all time. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Burger Chef looks like Peter Griffin. <laughs> Again, they're <laughs> innovators. <laughs> it looks like Peter Griffin. Hey, Brian, remember that time that I ran a... Hey, a Jeff. shitty McDonald's uh, fast food hey, Jeff. knockoff. Hey, Jeff. So <laughs> Burger Chef looks like Peter Griffin. <laughs> he's got a chef's hat and an apron. And he has some kind of a thing. Like, I think it might be supposed to be a neckerchief, uh, but <laughs> it kind of looks like maybe a cape. <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to be. Uh, Jeff is a sandy blonde young lad. Oh, Jeff. Um, but frankly, it's weird that Jeff, who is a teen at best, like there's no way Jeff is an adult man, uh, would be he's hanging out with Burger Chef all the time. Like, I want to know more about their relationship. This sounds like some ancient Greek kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, near as I can tell, I mean, I don't know much about the lore. Uh, Jeff is kind of like Robin. From the original Batman TV show from the 60s, because he says things like curious ketchup and magic mustard. <laughs> they wear hats that have their names on them. Yeah, they do. And they have polka dotted aprons. Yeah. And you notice that you see the neckerchief thing? Yeah. Like, it's like a Boy Scout's neckerchief. Yeah. So Burger Chef and Jeff also, they had friends though. Uh, there was Burger, <laughs> Burgerini, the magician. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> Count Fangburger, who's a, who's a vampire. What? And he says, I like mine rare. <laughs> this is genius. And they had a slogan, fun for the whole family. <laughs> Make it stop. Because because Fangburger, Count Fangburger had a family. <laughs> what? There was Mrs. Fangburger. <laughs> and the kids are the best. Fangburger's daughter and Fangburger's son. They don't have names. What's their names? We can only assume these are their legal names. It's part of the war. <laughs> they named their kids Fangburger's son. That's not Fangburger. I'm naming my kid. Yeah. Art's son. No, Fangburger. Oh, Fangburger's yeah. son. I should. So they were the Fangburger clan. <laughs> then there was uh, uh, Burgerilla, a talking gorilla, and his girlfriend, Burgerella, who was also a gorilla. Of course, classically, gorillas known for their love of hamburgers. Yeah. Uh, there was Cackleburger, who is a witch. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, she flies on a jet-powered broom, very much like Bob Lazar. <laughs> uh, there was Crankenburger, <laughs> which was a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. <laughs> uh, Wolfburger, oh, a werewolf. Shit. I just want to point out, lots of lots of mythological creatures. It's very Halloween-y cast here. Yeah. This is like a super paranormal. This is great. All right. So those are some of the characters in the Burger Chef uh, pantheon. But uh, <laughs> how about these ad slogans? Huh? Get a load of these. Burger Chef goes all out to please your family. Oh, you bet he does. We like, really. That guy knows how to toss a fucking works bar. You know what I'm saying? Speaking of, <laughs> here's another slogan. We really give you the works. And this is Burger my, Chef laid pipe. And this is my favorite. He was a bachelor. <laughs> Wait, right? Yeah. He didn't have a family. Yeah, either that or he was uh or he was like sexually abusing Jeff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh and here's my favorite one. Open wide America, you can never forget. You get more to like at Burger Chef. <laughs> the fucking bars he's dropping. This is a SoundCloud fucking diss track. 
This is the most amazing fast food company on the planet. Yeah. Predating mumble rappers. He's dropping, he's telling them never forget. They predicted 9 11. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. Burger Chef Jeff, is like, Jeff did 9 11. Jeff did 9 11. Jeff did 9 11. <laughs> open wide, America. You can never forget. You get more to like at Burger Chef. That Burger Chef. I mean, Bunkers, look up Burger Chef. It's a panty dropper. For sure. This is in fucking incredible. There's some Burger Chef artwork about to be up on Art's walls. There's some Burger Chef Rule 34 <laughs> going up soon. This is incredible. I, I'm so sad that this place, this is a this is a cast of characters that rivals McDonald's's characters. I mean, like, these are up there with Grimace. They are. And the Chicken Nugget crew, whatever they were, and Birdie. Yeah. And the Hamburglar. Yeah. This is incredible. I mean, let's be honest here. Like, why don't fast food restaurants do this stuff anymore? This. Hey, I'm sick of ba da ba ba ba. Bring this shit back. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, where's Burgerini? A hamburger magician. Crankenburger. A Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Burger Chef goes all out to please your family. <laughs> My God, honey, let's go down to the burger chef and let's go make a baby. <laughs> Get me a big chef. <laughs> what were the? I want to see like uh, I want to see like a cast of like burger themed sharks that are like half burger, half shark. That's kind of like a '90s burger chef street sharks. Oh man, type of thing. The I think that sharks. I think that would be pretty fucking badass. Ripster. <laughs> I'm trying to look up the fucking name of the street sharks. They're pretty bad. Yeah, the street sharks names were funny. That's fucking awesome. I love Burger Chef. So that's our that's our detour to Burger Chef. Incredible during this episode. Incredible. Um that's I can't believe that. Dog burgers. You only get that kind of stuff. I mean <laughs> that kind of research. Um if you'd like us to do a series of episodes on defunct fast food restaurants, please let us know. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, all right. What do you want me to take this here, Andy? Or do you want me to keep going? Either way. Um, later in 1979, more bills were identified. Back to Mike DeBartleben. Yeah. In Elizabeth, it's New Jersey and Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of mm -hmm. Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. Uh, in the early 1980s, the U.S. Secret Service, the key agents on the case, were partners Dennis Foose and um, Greg Mertz. They worked together. Uh, you know, we, we don't have any evidence if they were like life partners or anything. They just worked together. Right. Partners in the work sense. Yeah. Just fine. Uh, they had believed they had found a geographical pattern to a string of counterfeiting cases, distributed composite sketches to clerks in stores they projected he would visit. Uh, in the future, based on that pattern. Um, the Secret Service matched the defects in the Kentucky bill to other counterfeit bills being passed. They found DeBarleben had passed over $30,000 worth of notes discovered in 38 states in by 1980. Um, pretty, pretty sizable amount. But, but, but hold on to your shorts. In 1982, DeBarleben managed to pass over 130000 worth of counterfeit bills in 44 states 44 states he went to almost all of the states in the continental u.s 
basically you could probably track him through the Animaniacs song of <laughs> yeah. them singing all about the states and you could. he's he's been there he became a high priority target for the secret service uh, to say the least um so this led to DeBartolaben's arrest in Knoxville, Tennessee on May 25th, 1983. In DeBartolaben's car, thousands of dollars in counterfeit $20 bills were found, each labeled with the city in which they would be passed. Police also found guns, a substantial quantity of pornography, a portable pharmacy of legal and illegal drugs of nearly every sort, uh, 18 license plates, most were stolen from a variety of states, nine forged driver's licenses, all bearing DeBartolaben's photograph, and a mail-order police badge inside a commission book. Quite the collection. Uh, during the search for the equipment with which the notes had been made, agents in Washington, D.C. located a storage unit DeBartolaben had rented. Among the items located by the Secret Service were homemade audio tapes and photographs of sex slangs and torture and a death kit, quote-unquote, containing handcuffs, shoelaces, chains, KY jelly, and worse, a woman's bloody underwear. By the way, the death kit, like, term, that was, that was uh, one of the agents, Foos or, or Mertz, coined that phrase. After seeing the kit. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's definitely a death kit for sure. Yeah. The Secret Service matched photographs of DeBartolaben's body to prove he was the man in the photos. He was the man in the photograph. Look at this photograph. Yeah, so it's like they found, you know, like you could see parts of a man's body in the photographs. And there were like distinctive marks that they noticed, like, you know, freckles or whatever. So they took pictures of DeBartolaben's body to match the parts they saw in the photographs. To him. It's good detective work. Yeah. The FBI profilers speculate that in photographs where his face is seen along with the victims, he murdered the women and disposed of her body. Whereas in photographs where he is hiding his face, he allowed the victim to live. A handwriting expert also gave the opinion that the written material found was written by DeBartolaben. DeBartolaben's hair samples were also matched to those found on some of the victims. Now, by the time investigators were done pie- <clears throat> piecing together the evidence against DeBartolaben, he faced 11 indictments, including two for murder in nine different states. Um, among these indictments were the following. Six charges for counterfeiting in various states, um, sodomy, robbery, and armed criminal action in Missouri, kidnapping charges in Connecticut, and a federal kidnapping charge in Baltimore. Um now, Andy, do you you are a um, you you know sort of a counterfeiting? Um, yeah, you're you're very much a chameleon, I would say. Yeah, 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 very into counterfeiting. So um, let me let me tell you a yeah. little bit about how uh, the Debartolaben counterfeiting process, because you, you love know, printers. Yeah. <laughs> oh my do god. Do I? I've, Some people consider you the human printer. Yeah, that's what they call me because I rarely work when asked to. Yeah. Uh, you're very frustrated. And I have I have only one job, and I don't do it. That well or that often. And for some reliably. reason, you're always craving tone. Yeah, I do. I toner. like toner. It tastes good. Kind of like cum. <laughs> um, so let me tell you a little bit about Mike DeBartolaben's counterfeiting practice. Keep in mind, Bugfunkers, he was a good counterfeiter too. I like, know. Weird like I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna undersell that. I mean, like his crimes were horrible. Like this yeah, he got caught and arrested for it twice. Um 
but like the fact that he did it so often, like he was a good counterfeiter. He's like, no Frank Abagnale. This is why he was such yeah. But this is why he was such a high priority for the Secret Service because he was a very good counterfeiter. You know, it's weird. It's like you kind of like when the fuck did he develop the skill? You know, who yeah. knows? Yeah, I mean, I guess knows? when he's spending all that time alone drawing as a kid and stuff, maybe he realizes that he has a knack for this stuff. But it's sort of like, how the fuck? I mean, maybe you learn stuff when you're in prison. Some yeah. guy teaches you how to counterfeit. It's like, where the fuck do you even learn how to do this? <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and and the process, I mean, of counterfeiting, if you've, if you've never counterfeited your own money. Don't. Don't, first of all. We can't encourage you to commit crimes, but uh, you can counterfeit non-legal bunker tender. Yeah, that's which fine. Which is not acceptable anywhere. Yeah, create your own designs for the bunker cash. Yeah. Uh, bunker fun bucks. <laughs> but uh, available only at Burger Chef. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck cashing those in your rubes. <laughs> um, counterfeiting is not easy. And uh, this is this is uh, but it's process. So he used uh, this yellowish black kind of colored halftone screen uh, applied to uh, eight and a half by 11 sheet of 20 pound cranes crest white paper. Um, they use that paper because it, you know, you can't get the paper that the federal reserve uses to print money. So this is like the closest thing. Like it feels the most like it's got that same kind of weight of a bill. Um, so then he prints on uh black green plate uh, or the back plate green ink portrait of the white house south lawn and trees and shrub shrubbery uh after that uh puts on the green treasury seal and serial numbers on the front then prints the black ink portions of the note uh which includes the portrait of uh president andrew jackson and the word 20 uh then there are some wispy blue traces uh and subsequently added wispy red traces uh which mimics the the threads that are used in actual bills. Uh, then the bills are dried. Uh, they get cut into um, rectangles that are 6.14 by 2.16 inches. Uh, they get steeped in a tea solution. So it's like this is aging the bills. Mm. When Do you we know what <clears throat> kind of tea? Yeah, pu'er, I'm sure. Uh, pu'er, an aged pu'er, which is aged itself, Andy. <clears throat> Maybe an oolong or a green or a white or a red tea, a black tea. Anyway, I don't have that information, but big uh, part of my lore. Yeah, big part of your lore, your love of tea. Um, but the thing with counterfeiting is that you don't want the bills to look new right. because that's very suspicious. People, new bills are already like difficult to deal with. So an aged bill seems more like it doesn't belong because it seems like it's just crumpled and stuff. So you soak them in the tea solution, you dry them, um, and then you crumple them. Uh, so they look older and then they're kind of like wadded a little bit. Um, so then after printing, uh, this is the process for getting rid of the bills. DeBartolaben would go to an, into a busy store uh, and get a low ticket item. Like they found a lot of this stuff in his storage locker and in his car. It's things like stocks. It's socks. It's like a book, a little book or whatever. Like you buy a little trinket and the idea is that you'll get a lot of change back. So you don't want to spend too much money on it. You give them a $20 bill. They give you the socks and then they also give you $15 in change. So you made like $15 on the, the transaction, basically. Um, so that's what the Secret Service calls it passing when you give a, a, a counterfeit bill. Um, and then they call the, like, the item that you get the proceeds from your counterfeit bill passing. So that's, that's the process uh, on the counterfeiting. And I don't want to gloss over this. This next part, we're going to talk about 
um, his victims uh, and some of his crimes for stuff that's not counterfeiting related. So this is the stuff that's not related to counterfeiting. Um, first thing to mention at the top is that the, the actual number of his victims will will never be known. He's he's dead now. Um, and unlike a lot of people who are accused of like serialized crimes, uh, the Bartleben never took responsibility for his crimes uh, and never bragged about any of them. So he continued even up until his death, denying all of the charges brought against him uh, and de- denying his involvement in any of these these crimes. Um, the Secret Service, though, uh, had the belief that the Bartleben had been preying on women for 18 years prior to his arrest. So he had been preying on them. That was in 1980-whatever. So he had been preying on women for, like, a long time. Um, so on September 3rd, 1978, in Delaware, uh, DeBartle kidnapped a 19-year-old nursing student named Lucy Alexander. Um, uh, and I mean, I guess at this point, you kind of know, but this is, like, word of warning, this is pretty graphic. Uh, we're just going to mention the crimes. We're not going to get into too, like, much detail here, but um, he repeatedly raped and sodomized Lucy Alexander um, and ended up releasing her in this, like a, like off the side of the road somewhere in Delaware. Then on February 4th in 1979, uh, he kidnapped a woman named Elizabeth Mason. Uh, He choked her and banged her head on a wall until she lost consciousness and then left her for dead. Um, She, she survived the attack though. She did survive on June 1st, 1979. He kidnapped a woman named Lori Jensen um, he took her back to his home, uh, kept her hostage, I guess, uh, kept her in his home for 24 hours. Again, repeatedly raped and sodomized her. Um, this is pretty graphic. Performed fellatio on him, forced her to masturbate using an oversized dildo, uh, demanded that she call him daddy. Uh, and he took pictures and audio tapes of the whole thing, uh, and then released her a few blocks from her house. Uh, on November 1st, 1980, uh, he, he, uh, targeted another victim named Diane Overton, um, who ended up fighting him off, uh, and escaped before he could do any harm to her. Um, and in this attempt, uh, he was posing as a police officer. Uh, and this is a good point to mention this, that, you know, when he got arrested by the secret service, they found a mail order police badge. This was a typical method for him uh, to abduct his victims is he would pose as a police officer. So he had like one of those lights you can stick on top of your car. So he would pull people over on the side of the road or whatever. He had like, you know, fake police credentials, counterfeit police credentials and stuff. So he would pretend to be a law enforcement officer and use that as a pretense for abducting women. Um, so on November 12th, 1980, he kidnapped uh, a woman named Maria Santini Um he stripped her, tied her hands and feet together, took pictures uh, of her in, you know, sexual poses and then dropped her off in the woods. Um, and then on April 27th, 1982, uh, the Bartleben kidnapped a real estate agent named Jean McFall. Um, Jean McFall's body was later found in the attic of a home. Uh, she was lashed to the rafter by a, a ligature around her throat. She was like tied basically to the rafter by her throat. Uh, she was fully clothed, but had two puncture wounds to the heart. 
Um, this is one of those. I'm assuming she's dead. Yeah, she she died from this uh okay. this attack. Um, you know, DeBartle even posed as like a a person looking for a home, uh, and used that as a pretense for kidnapping her, and then took her to this like new construction, uh, up into the attic, uh, and then killed her. Again, this is one of those crimes where it's like, I mean, to me, it's obvious that he committed it, but he was never never formally convicted of it. So that's those are the those are some of the victims. I mean, obviously, we will never know the probably the full list, but pretty gruesome stuff. Yeah. Um. So after all this, uh, obviously, Debartleben did go to trial for some of these crimes. Uh, he chose to represent himself in court. Uh, not unlike me in art, <laughs> yeah. but uh, he ended up being convicted of multiple crimes and was sentenced to 375 years in federal prison. <laughs> Holy fuck. Which I mean, you know, when you're facing prosecution for extremely serious and despicable charges such as these, you'd probably hire a lawyer who didn't graduate high school anyway. So if you yourself didn't graduate high school, it just makes sense that you'd represent yourself, right? Yeah. Like you'd say, I don't want a lawyer who went to law school. Right. I want somebody who's not certified to practice law in yeah. any jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, uh, he got 375 years uh, in federal prison. Uh, the other states that had uh, outstanding indictments of DeBartleben, uh decided to not pursue trials uh, due to the fact that by the time he would have been eligible for parole, he would have been 100 years old. So... This is why he didn't end up being like a serial murderer is because states that had other indictments against him decided not to take them to trial because it's expensive for the state to do that. And he was already serving a really long term and he wouldn't have been eligible to even like serve their sentences until he was near death by natural causes anyway. Uh, so just out of as a note, uh, Mike's third wife. Uh, was interviewed for the court cases against him uh, and testified that to him, quote, all women were whores, sluts, tramps. They asked for what they got, end quote. Uh, now, Art, uh, as the official Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy <laughs> Time uh, armchair psychologist, uh, would you like to give the psychological perspective on Mike uh, DeBartleben? Boy, I mean, I uh, oof, I don't know. Uh, delving into a, a psyche like that, um, man, it's a, I, it really is. It's it. It is fascinating work. If I don't know any bunk funkers, if you're out there, if you work as a psychologist, one of the courses I took when I was getting a psychology degree that I think was probably my favorite. Um, well, the teacher is one of my favorite. He was an adjunct. He was a like court, a frequent like court appointed psych like psychologist who would come in for like various court like a a defense team or a prosecution team would hire him or get him to like do a court um like a, like a psychiatric evaluation it was a the class was actually on like developing psychological tests like how you how you develop a valid and um um repeatable test that's objective and fair and actually is designed what you want to figure out but um man he he just had some fucking crazy stories about like some of the fucking people he would get and yeah. people like this yeah. just are fucking de so depraved. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting work, but I think it would also be like I know difficult. Yeah, I got to imagine that that probably weighed on that guy pretty heavily, but maybe not. You separate work from, from yeah. Life. I guess if you have the right mindset, but I don't know. 
So in personality, DeBartleben displayed uh, marked schizoid and narcissistic traits along with the symptoms of psychopathy. Um, he also exemplified all eight of the uh, very outdated two versions, I believe at this point, DSM-3R, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder um, Criteria for Statistic Personality Disorder. DeBartleben was characterized as having a, quote, Jekyll and Hyde personality quote, um, whose uh, demeanor could shift from the affable to the extremely cruel. Um, the DSM-4 cites that DeBarleben as an example of both sexual of both sexual sadism and antisocial personality disorder. <laughs> he was so fucked up he got a mention in the actual like diagnostic manual for psychology Jeez. of being the a bill. sexual sadist and having antisocial personality disorder. I wonder where Burger Chef and Jeff fall on the uh, DSM-4. Yeah, let's let's If you're if you're out there and you're a psychiatrist, like let us know. Yeah. Psychologist like where do Burger Chef and Jeff fit in? Like give us a psychological breakdown of the entire Burger Chef family. <laughs> Burgerla. Okay, Roy Hazelwood from the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit studied DeBarleben pretty closely. With forensic psychologist Park uh, Dietz, um, Hazelwood wrote a 40-page report to help the ser Secret Service agents understand DeBartleben's behavior. They diagnosed him with, um, um, from the materials recovered, as a full-fledged, highly aberrant sexual sadist. Um, here's, here's basically a quote from their report. He had red lights, sirens, and police badges, Hazelwood recalls and thousands of pages of writing in which he described feeling uh, degraded and needing to restore his self-respect by ripping off society. He had audio tapes of himself torturing his wives and other victims, and he had thousands of photographs, many of which depicted his victims. He would rehearse with his wives, and then he'd act out that fantasy with his other victims, and he would even put himself on an audio tape with a falsetto voice playing the role of his victim. He had also had a number of cards containing statistics and sexual evaluations of random females. Well, fucked up on a whole other level here. Yeah. Um, Hazelwood outlines serial, serial rapist in, in um, these six categories. One is power reassurance, quote, which law enforcement calls the gentleman rapist, end quote. Probably they shouldn't call it that. Yeah, probably not. He has a complex fantasy of a consensual relationship with a woman. Number two is the power assertive, which is that's the individual who believes that he is entitled to do whatever he wants to a woman. And his fantasies are minimal. Three is the anger retaliator, retaliatory. Um, this person assaults because he's motivated by anger. And he's uh, getting even with women for real or imagined wrongs. He almost, uh, he has almost no fantasy. He simply strikes. Four is the anger excitation. He's a sexual sadist. He's punishing women because he believes them to be evil and powerful. So he's trying to take away that power. He has deep and complex fantasies. Five is the opportunistic. He's there to commit another crime like robbery or burglary, but the victim is there and he simply seizes the opportunity. And finally, six is gang rape. This involved three or more offenders and you always have a leader and a reluctant participant. 
Now, according to Hazelwood, the anger excitation rapist is the most dangerous. And DeBartolabin was a good example of that because the suffering of his victims um, sexually stimulated him. Now, his goals expressed in writing were to dominate and control. Um, now, kind of tangentially from that, he defined sadism for himself as, quote, the central impulse to have complete mastery over another person, to make him slash her a helpless object of our will, to become her God, unquote. And also, he wanted to be in a position to do whatever he pleased with her, to enslave her, to make her suffer in a way that she couldn't possibly defend herself against. Um, so uh, going off of this, also uh, Hazelwood says, a sexual sadist is an individual who is aroused by the suffering of another person. It is not the infliction of pain that's arousing, it's the victim's suffering. He may use pain, psych- psych- physical or psychological, as a tool to elicit the suffering. But it's the suffering that's the most important to him. One thing that's confused with sexual sadism is cruelty committed during a crime. A lot of crimes are extremely cruel, but very few crimes are called sexual sadism. We've overused the term sadism in our society. (laughs) It's kind of like getting on a soapbox here. Yeah, yeah, he's on his soapbox a little bit. Uh, In my opinion, sexual sadism counts for no more than 7 to 10% of sexual crimes committed, but the sexual sadist is the great white shark of sexual crimes. He's the premier predator, end quote. So a little bit about uh, the Bartleben in prison. Um, he spent his time corresponding with other serial killers, people like Ted Bundy, huh. uh, and put together a lot of appeals, as you might expect. Uh, he was his own attorney. Uh He got moved around a lot in prison, though, because of a lot of different complaints like fear of him being harmed by other inmates or whatever. Um, And he also, as we said, he never acknowledged his crimes and always to the end claimed the Secret Service manufactured the evidence against him in an effort to strengthen their case. So even up until the very end, he never took responsibility for any of his crimes. And even said the Secret Service faked it. And in the end, died of pneumonia, right? Yeah, was murdered by pneumonia in 2011, I think. Wow. Well, good riddance. I mean, a very tragic story that it, like many serial killers, again, this is not to take away from their crimes, their heinous acts, but it starts with this horrible home life, awful relationship with his parents who did awful things, awful parenting. And should serve as a lesson for something to never be repeated. Um, I mean, ultimately, serial killers are always responsible for their own actions. Yeah. Um, you His know, sister didn't go around murdering nobody. <laughs> right. You're always responsible for your own act. I mean, you know, most most people are responsible for their own actions. Like, yeah, there are there are circumstances I mean, where you're not. Not uh, us for certain things like, you know. When we poop in public toilets that aren't toilets, you know, <laughs> the Home Depot toilets. It's their fault. They're putting toilets out. Like, I'm going to get confused. And that's 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 a crime of necessity, not a crime of aggression. Uh, and there's well, a big difference. Maybe in your case. Well, yeah. Okay. In I've shit some places. I've, I've kind of seen you. Well, I've seen you do do things before, like when, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I've seen you do like, you know, a little... BDSM with toilets because you really just like, you know, yeah. really taking that toilet. 
Yeah. Well, I've got a little, I've always got a dump on deck because I eat a lot of that marshmallow cum. But, you know, I don't, yeah, I'm responsible for my actions. Okay. But sometimes I'm not, you know. Listen, like you bring me to a Culver's, I'm not responsible for how many Butterburgers I'm going to eat. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to eat a lot of Bubber Burgers. Yeah, Bubber Burger. <laughs> Bubber Burger. No, you're right. Why isn't there a Butter Burgerilla? Culver's. If any, if, okay, the CEO of Culver's, we know you listen to this show. You love this show. We know you're a patron. We know you're a patron. We know we, you didn't really use your real name. We can make like a fun, like, you know, like Colby, Colby and Jeff. Yeah, let us, you know, Scoopy, your current Scoopy. mascot is fine. Yeah. Let us take a crack at expanding the Scoopy universe. <laughs> Look at what Marvel was able to accomplish. Don't you want that? Yeah, don't you want the Scoopy Cinematic Universe? <laughs> SCU? Um, but yeah, you're right. They're, they're, they're responsible for their own actions. So, they are, they are, they do have that, like, a guy like the Bartolabin, there's no evidence that he's, like, out of control, obviously. I mean, you can't be a serial killer and be out of control. So, it's like, ultimately, they're responsible for all their actions, but... It's like, they're not, they're not, they don't just become that in an instant, you know? It's like, there's a long path to becoming a serial killer, a serial rapist, yeah. a serial torturer, whatever the case is. And I mean, yeah, unfortunately it's like, this is the scary thing about being a parent. It's like, what the, f how much, how much are you fucking up your own offspring without I mean, even realizing it? I mean, listen, there's, there's just an extreme case. You're not holding like, your kid's head underwater. Right. So. I mean. <laughs> You have to know that something's going on with that. <laughs> well, it all starts, starts with Burger Chef. <laughs> you take your kid to a Burger Chef, you don't know what they might turn out as. Yeah. <laughs> might turn out as an astronaut, might turn out as a serial killer. Right. That's the, that's the mystery of the fun meal. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Truly, a cosmic place in time and space is the, is the Burger Chef. <laughs> I eat a burger in a place where there's no space and time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, but but bunkfunkers, we hope you enjoyed that one. I mean, it's uh, it's a, I mean, dis some disgusting, disgusting crimes. But the the true crime aspect of it is truly pretty fascinating. That uh, somebody with unbelievable skill. I mean, it really takes some fucking skill to counterfeit currencies. Yeah. You know, and you, you kind of want to think about like, man, if you could have used your powers for good. Yeah. How much no better kidding. your life could have been in the lives of all those victims. And, and, you know, honestly, most counterfeiters are pretty bad. At yes. It. So it's, you know, it's like in Michaud's book, uh, Lethal Shadow, there's, there's, <laughs> I know you keep thinking about Steven Seagal. I just, there's, think there's about a, him eating a big old burger chef. It goes. Steven Seagal at Burger Chef. Yeah. Dressed as like a, you know, like a ninja in all black. Steven Seagal should play Burger Chef in the film oh adaptation my of God, like Andy, Burger you're Chef. a fucking genius. He should play Burger Chef. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Steven Seagal should fight Burger Chef, but I think no, it's so much better be than he should, he should be Burger Chef. <laughs> because Burger Chef and Jeff go on these adventures and Burger Chef should know martial arts. I don't know that that came up a lot in the fun meals, but he should. I could see it now. Like the producers are like, I don't, I don't really think burger shit. We gave him like a burger gun 
and he can use that. He can use one of these ketchup dispensing tools no. as a gun. He shoots no. ketchup. No, no. Burger Chef has to kill Burgerini with his hands. Yeah. Burger Chef is gonna flip Fangula. What was his name? Count Fangburger. Count Fang. <laughs> Count Fangburger. This that's Steven Zagal, doesn't it? Fangula. He's gonna keep calling him Fangula. Steven, it's, it's Fangburger. It's, it's Fangburger, Steven. Yeah, he's gonna flip him using Akito. He's gonna use he's gonna use uh, Hapkido and pin Fangburger's face on the flat top until he's dead. Uh, Steven, you can't kill a vampire that way. <laughs> this is a this is a kids movie. It's animated. Um, you know, it's like we're gonna release this with fun meals. It's like a fun little. Please stop calling the animators and telling them to animate violence. <laughs> we'll get the people who did Mortal Kombat to do the blood. <laughs> He's saved Jeff. Okay, Jeff is suspended upside down, covered in chains. He's being held above a steaming hot vat of 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 beef fat and tallow, and only Burger Chef can save him. Okay, Burger Chef is going to uh, wield an AR-15 fully automatic. That he will fire from the hip. He doesn't need to aim. Because it's Burger Chef. <laughs> it also serves as a spatula. He uses the butt of the gun as a spatula. And also, he's going to use the AR-15 uh, as a zipline. <laughs> By the way, this is some big industrial kitchen. <laughs> it's a huge warehouse. <laughs> we don't have the funds for this, Stephen. It's animated. <laughs> Just draw it. Burger Chef. I love it. Bunkfunkers, go and think about Burger Chef. <laughs> um, you know, Bunkfunkers, I do recommend the book Lethal Shadow. Uh, if you're if you're interested in Mike DeBartolaben. I mean, we gave you we gave you the the whole enchilada on it here, but um, you know, like I said, it's a good book. Um, it talks a lot about the skill the Bartolaben had as a counterfeiter and stuff. If uh, you know, it's just it's very interesting because he's a very competent criminal. Mm. Uh, and I feel weird giving him any credit at all, uh, cause his crimes are really horrific. Um, but it's, you know, it's very rare. Like this, this is an interesting study in, uh, somebody who had such a wide array of criminal activities. Um, but it's at the end of the day, it's, it's still, it's very distressing, uh, the crimes, but, uh, bunk funkers, we hope you enjoyed, uh, this episode of Andy and Art debunked. Art's Art's chuckling over there. I feel like he's gonna jump in here. No, maybe not. He can't he can't get it he can't get it together. Open wide America. You can never forget. You can get more to like the burger chef. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd watch it. I'd watch it. The Burger Chef movie. Yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Burger Chef, I don't know what to tell you to go. Like this is the definitive Burger <laughs> Chef uh, oral history here. Um, so, but if you have any information about Burger Chef, if you've ever eaten in a Burger Chef, please, God, please let us know. Obviously you can get at us, uh, Twitter, Instagram at Mr. Bunker Pod, email us, Mr. Bunker Pod at gmail.com. Um, message us through the Patreon. Uh, if you're on the discord, tell us about your Burger Chef adventure. <laughs> uh, I don't know that anybody, unless they lived in Tennessee, I don't know that anybody is like old enough to have eaten at a Burger Chef, but maybe. 
Never know. I don't know that I ever did. Uh, there was a restaurant where I grew up called Pleasers, and I think some of the burger chefs became Pleasers restaurants, which is mm. also funny because uh, they're so obsessed with pleasing you. <laughs> they want oh, you to have they? pleasure eating there. Yeah, there's a special We're, back room, too. Burger for chef, open wide, customers. America. Um, so, Art, uh, any final thoughts here? I just want to say in closing that uh, Bunker Chef goes all <laughs> out to please your mind tummy. Bunker Chef goes all out to satisfy your hungriest urges. Uh, well said, Art. Well said. Um, so, Bunk Funkers, thanks for joining us on another episode of Andy and Art Debunked. Uh, we hope you like this. Uh, if you do, let us know. If uh, there's any other topics you want us to cover or any uh, specific people, um, I got uh, an interesting message in the Discord about someone that might end up as a subject. I don't want to don't want to spoil it, but maybe uh, a profile will do on this show. Uh, unless there's more, unless maybe it ends up as a Mister Bunker's conspiracy time. You never know. It's a question mark. You never know. Um, but seriously, thanks for your support. Uh, we hope you enjoy this extra bonus episode and the newsletter. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the newsletter. Um, I guess that's all we got for you this time, Bunk Funkers. Uh, we'll see you. See you next time. Uh, time to saddle the horses and have a big chef. Big chef. And Jeff. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.